Happy Monday! Beautiful day in the neighborhood. Except it could be a little warmer. I'm a guy who's being held hostage by a nine-year-old cat. And I've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Dealing with a lot of different issues. From marijuana to Donald Trump to chicken pox parties. Hey, anybody want to go to a chicken pox party? Remember those things? We used to have them as kids. If one kid in a circle of mom's friends got chicken pox, what would they do? They'd organize a play date. Come on over. Get your chicken pox here. This is fantastic. Because you wanted to get chicken pox over and done with. So if your child was somewhere, I don't know, how old would they have to be? Two? Three? Four? Five? Somewhere around there? Not 26. When you're an adult and you get chicken pox, that's nasty. That's not good. You can get really sick. So you have a chicken pox party. We have a vaccine for chicken pox now. Both my kids got it. But I hear it wears off. That's disturbing. I don't want them to get chicken pox as an adult. And now chicken pox parties are apparently becoming a thing again. Uh, We'll find out more about that hopefully later on in the show. Or certainly later on this week, but we've got to find out about that. While we're on the topic of health, there is a meeting between the Ontario Health Coalition and the London Health Coalition that is taking place. They're pretty concerned about the super agency. Yeah, and I think we're all a little apprehensive about that. First of all, because of what it's called, that's the dumbest idea, but let's find out exactly what it is they're concerned about. We'll discuss that in just a little bit. Uh, just got an email. How are you being held hostage by a cat? Well, Dana, um, I have a cat that whines, meows, whatever cats do, makes a noise to go outside, and if you don't let the cat outside, it pees in the front entranceway. And we put a box there, it just pees beside the box. So I don't know what to do. I'm out of ideas when it won't go in the box. And we've, you can send all of the info you want. We've changed the litter. We've, we haven't changed the box. I guess that's the only thing we haven't done. Maybe we could buy a a whole new cat box and put new litter in it. We have two cats. The other one always uses, it'll jump in there. It just, that's what they do. So this cat decides that it wants to go out. And if it doesn't go out, it pees. And uh, it's not diabetic. We've had it checked out. It's all fine. It's a fine cat. It's a nice enough cat. Just likes the outdoors. And is vicious if it doesn't get its way. It started to do this at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I don't know. I'm, I get concerned. I'm not going to let the cat out if it's below zero. I don't hang outside for long periods of time when it's below zero. Cat probably shouldn't either. So, yeah, I'm being held hostage by a cat. That's that story. So, lots to get to. London Knights up to nothing on the Winter Spitfires. We'll touch on that. And, of course, B, R, and T. We'll talk with a couple of counselors on the show today. One, Ward 5 counselor, Maureen Cassidy, who will help us to paint a picture of maybe how the, the North Corridor, the North Segment, the North Line, I don't know what to call it. We need a name for this. But how it could play itself out, and some of the evolution that has gone on. We'll also talk with Ward 2 counselor Sean Lewis, who is kind of new to the game of BRT and has had to play some catch-up. He, of course, has been dealing with it, as anyone has, in reading the information all the way along, but now you get everything to read. So we'll talk with him in just a few minutes. But we also need to talk about Donald Trump, because if you enjoy American politics as sport, 
you're probably going to have a very enjoyable next few months, 21 of them, as a matter of fact, because the Mueller report did not find evidence of collusion between Donald Trump and Russia. Here is U.S. President Donald Trump, courtesy of Global News, from yesterday. After a long look, after a long investigation, after so many people have been so badly hurt, after not looking at the other side, where a lot of bad things happened, a lot of horrible things happened, a lot of very bad things happened for our country. It was just announced there was no collusion with Russia, the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. There was no collusion with Russia. There was no obstruction and none whatsoever. And it was a complete and total exoneration. It's a shame that our country had to go through this. To be honest, it's a shame that your president has had to go through this for before I even got elected. It began and it began illegally. And hopefully somebody's going to look at the other side. This was an illegal takedown that failed. And hopefully somebody's going to be looking at the other side. So it's complete exoneration. That is U.S. President Donald Trump from yesterday. He can be very, very happy and is going to be and he's going to use this as a tool. I think I've figured out one of the things that bothers me about U.S. President Donald Trump. He needs a speechwriter. You know, when you have leaders, you expect them to be powerful and you expect them to be able to stand in front of a crowd and give great speeches. He can't. He cannot. And if he would have taken just a little bit of time, it doesn't take long to write down a little two-minute blurb. You know what a two-minute blurb is? 24 lines. That's it. Two minutes is 24 lines on a piece of paper. That's all. So if he'd taken just have somebody sitting beside you in the SUV that you're riding in or in the helicopter or in the plane or wherever it is that you are and just go over what you want to say. And then you can look at the little talking points and boop, 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 boop. No one would fault you if if you look down on a piece of paper. I think that would make him seem more powerful. Maybe that's what it is. He needs a speechwriter. Maybe that would get me on Donald Trump's side. Uh, let's get a little bit of analysis, not too much on this, but Global News Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco reacted to all of the details this way. Not only is this political vindication, it is a spectacular victory for the president. It's going to be a political launching pad for him. He is already fundraising off of this victory tonight. He is telling his supporters what he said all along, that he feels this was a witch hunt. And you know that he is going to trot this out almost every single opportunity he has for the next two years leading up to the 2020 presidential campaign. In fact, he's got a campaign rally scheduled for later on this week. You know it's going to be very, very fiery. And I think he's going to run with as far as he can. He's already compl- uh, uh, saying that he was completely exonerated, even though we know for a fact from reading the summary today that, in fact, on the question of obstruction of justice, he was not completely exonerated, but that doesn't matter. The key point here, the big bombshell Russia question has been answered, and Trump's side of the story is out there first. 
So that is Jackson Prosco. There will be people called to testify. This thing is going to go on and on and on. But here is Jackson Prosco with a little snippet of what will come next. It's all about a fight on Capitol Hill to release the full text of the Mueller report. Already we're hearing that the Attorney General William Barr will be subpoenaed and brought up to Capitol Hill to testify about why he came to the conclusions and the summary that he delivered today. And that's just the beginning of what's going to be a long and messy political fight. It's not over yet. Long and messy. So if you enjoy American politics as sport, well then get ready. Because here comes the Super Bowl, the NBA Championship Series, the Stanley Cup Final... Maybe a little alpine skiing, all wrapped into one. That's what this is going to wind up being. And we'll follow it. And uh, I still think speechwriter would be a, a really important thing if he had more of a speechwriter. And of course, you would think, ah, oh, no, 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 no speechwriter in this. We, don't, we need him speaking off the cuff. He does himself damage when he speaks off the cuff because he's not very good at it. Time for a quick call on this. Bob, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, well, you know... Uh... This is a great day. It's, it was a great day when this came out. I've been on the side of Trump the whole time. Oh, I know you have. That's yeah. why I wanted to hear what you had to say. Yeah, and you know, Mike, uh, it, this is this is an absolute disgrace in, in American politics. This is a coup from the beginning with a deep state and and some lunatic fringe, um, you know, Democrats like in the far far left. And what we've seen here today is is justice. And that's fantastic for everybody because it exposes everybody for who they are. But isn't it now, going to bog things down forever? I mean, this this will be, somebody described it as pre-Muller report and post-Muller report, that this is just going to tie things up and make a mess, and there'll be a lot of rhetoric and not much will get done because of it. Well, only, only on the Democratic side. I watch CNN. I watch a lot of news. I listen to people around the world people a lot smarter than me. I take all sides, and I'm not one of these people who put CNN on, and that's my gospel of news, right? But I watched them last night, and, and they were stumbling over their words. They, they knew they, what they created in the media and, what they, and how they contributed to the hysteria of what, for two years. They should be actually ashamed of themselves, and they should be held accountable for a lot of what's gone on. Yeah, of course, you have um, Mr. Barr, the Attorney General. You have Rosenstein, who, was, who hired Mueller, who came out and exonerated Trump after Mueller, in a cowardly way. Mueller should have never done what he did. He should have just exonerated Trump, but he is as guilty as the rest of the media to, to keep this thing going and alive in the mass hysteria way that the left wants it to go on for the next two years, right, to put doubt. So you've got Barr... The Attorney General and Rosenstein, who hired Mueller and who overseen the whole investigation, comes out and says, after they look at the documents, yeah, we exonerate him, which is perfectly normal in this case. I've been watching and reading about things, how this, these are, things are handled. That's perfectly normal. Still, the left yesterday, still, they refuse to accept bars you know, introduction uh, to, to the entire document, which is going to be released. So what we're going to have now, Mike, is they're going to get this thing released. Everybody wants it out there, the whole time. And I'll read every, if, they, if I can get a copy of it, I'll read every <laughs> line of it, right? And you know what's going to happen? I guarantee it. The people who are, who are sane and, and, and have a normal mind are going to read it and say, okay, we had 19 lawyers, 40 FBI agents, 2,800 subpoenas, 500 search warrants, 
13 requests. They went to 13 countries and talked to people. They interviewed 500 witnesses. And yeah, the numbers are wild. Okay. So if you want to talk about the most intense, extensive investigation in American history, that's it. You just you just see in history, right? We've all witnessed it for two years. So now we're going to have the Democrats who are going to read this document when it comes out, and you're going to have the idiots like the Cortezes, like the uh, uh, the Schumer and the Pelosi's, okay, and all these lunatic fringe people because they can't take losing again. It's like Mike, when your team loses a Stanley Cup, uh, you know, championship, and and you know, it's as insane as this. It's like everybody watched it happen. But you don't believe it happened, so you want it investigated, and you watch the video again, and then you're going to blame the refs because your team lost for the next 15 years. <laughs> hey, you know? that stuff happens too. Bob, we got yeah. to move along. So, I wait to see if that prediction yeah. happens. Thanks but, for the time. But it is what it is. I know. They lost. The guy's not guilty of anything. Let's move on, but they won't. They won't, Mike. They won't do it. <laughs> they don't have that mental capacity. They're insane. They're Thanks, like, Bob. They're five-year-olds and, and, and 50-year-olds. And they bodies. say the same thing about the other side. So it on and on it goes. That's that's the whole thing. You get you get high enough in politics, and everybody's playing the game. Everybody's, everybody's doing things wrong, and you wind up, okay, today this side wins. Tomorrow the next side wins. It goes back and forth. I love Bob's sports analogy because that's what it is. American politics is sport. Canadian politics is kind of dull sport. Pick your favorite dull sport. I don't know, cross-country skiing, it's, it's kind of slow. It's a, it's a little dull. That's, that's Canadian politics. Although we have had a steep incline recently. Uh, okay, very quickly. Delia, we've got about 60 seconds, but they're all yours. Okay, so real quick, I just want to say... Trump was never exonerated. Um, there is so much evidence all over the place that he's involved in something. All Mueller put together was simply that he couldn't prove anything. He this is the yeah. The question was, together. did he collude with Russia to get himself basically into the White House? Right. Right. And so they could not prove that he colluded with Russia. But you need to look at Trump as the individual. Trump gets things done and Trump gets them done in his own way. Trump likes to come out right now and say that he was completely exonerated, vindicated. That report does not exonerate or vindicate him. That report puts all kinds of lines directly towards him. Mueller couldn't definitively prove anything. But look at all of the indictments. Look at everybody that's been brought to the table, the witnesses, everything. He's a crook. It's unbelievable. Like, just look at it. He's being investigated by everybody everywhere. And like, yet I go on, but I know I only have. A I know, but he's seconds. he's being Mr. Teflon man, and nothing is sticking so far. So yeah, it's it's fun to watch it go back and forth, wins and losses. That's how we have exactly. to take it. Delia, yeah. thanks for the call. He has not been exonerated. No, you you make a good point. He has not been exonerated, other than the collusion. Uh, or the the allegations of collusion with Russia. And, you know, I I really encourage you, and I've mentioned this before, go and find Russia Rising, which is a podcast on the Curious Cast Network. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I've mentioned it on the show before. Go and listen to that, because there's a lot of great background information on not Russia and Trump. That's not what this is about. But what Russia's interests were in elections like the U.S. election. 
So that's something to go and look at and listen to, I guess. You, you, can't, you can look at the little picture of Russia rising. It's a nice logo. But go and listen to that and, uh, and let me know what you think after that. Let's take a break. We'll talk some BRT in just a moment because we've got a couple of big meetings on the way. And finally, maybe, finally, maybe, we may see a step taken forward toward something. Possibly. It's been months. Ward 2 Counselor Sean Lewis joins us next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFBL. We'll have more to talk about with regard to BRT after 2 o'clock today. But I want to lay some stuff out initially, just in preparation for that conversation. We are also going to talk with the London Health Coalition as they meet with the Ontario Health Coalition. They're worried about the super agency. So that's coming up in 15 minutes from now. Ward 2 Councillor Sean Lewis joins us on London Live. The Strategic Priorities and Policy Committee is meeting tonight. It's a fancy way of saying, come on down. Everybody on council is involved. Councillor Lewis, you ready? Good afternoon, Mike. How are you doing? I'm excellent. How are you? I am doing just fine. Uh, Looking forward to... uh a full agenda this week, and then uh, hopefully finding some time uh, around the end of the week to watch some nights hockey. Okay, well, that's good. Now, you have a lot to get through probably until then. And, I mean, I hate to tell you, but by the end of the week, unless it's going to a game five or six, there may not be a lot of nights hockey. (laughs) You you might have more time to do some reading. For somebody who is a new counselor, how much reading have you had to do to get caught up on BRT? Oh, uh, it's it's. A phenomenal amount, Mike. I mean, it's it's a fork truckload. Um, <laughs> it's literally I I'm going to ballpark it here. I'm going to guess that it's probably in excess of a thousand pages that I've gone through already. And that's not easy reading. This is not a, uh, no. a tale of adventure. Oh, maybe maybe it is kind of a tale of adventure, but I'm sure it doesn't read like that. It certainly does not. Um, to be honest, uh, in some ways, it would be great material to have if I was having a hard time falling asleep. <laughs> um, but it's actually material that you need to stay awake and absorb. So uh, it can be challenging, yes. Uh, it's uh, Some of it's very technical. Uh, obviously, there's uh, financial information. There's all kinds of moving parts in here that uh, connect together. And in some cases, now we've disconnected them. And what does the impact of that mean? Uh, we've got a whole uh, secondary list of projects that really aren't reflective of the old, what I'm going to call the, the old master BRT plan, because now we've cut it up into five pieces. Uh, a whole lot to absorb on a half a billion dollar decision that we essentially will be finalizing in the next 36 hours. Ward 2 Councillor Sean Lewis joining us. So let's go through the next 36 hours just so that we all understand. What's happening tonight and then what follows it? So tonight, we, in our Strategic Priorities and Policy Committee, which is really just a fancy way of saying a committee of the whole, because uh, it's all councillors, um, we will be meeting, and our focus tonight is really exclusively on the bus rapid transit rapid transit issue. Um, there were other items on the agenda. Uh, I've already indicated to Mayor Holder that I, I'm happy to second his motion uh, to put those other items off to a special meeting on April the 1st, and that's when we'll deal with the strategic plan and, and items associated with that, so that tonight we can really focus on the transit issue by itself and give it the as much attention as it deserves in the time we have left. Because 
one of the things that's important to know is we need to get some portion of our asks off to Ottawa by the end of the month so that we can get some of that money flowing this summer and start on some of these projects, uh, whatever projects we may choose as a group. So there is a deadline essentially there. There is. And when what it comes down to, we've kind of imposed it on ourselves, but the reality is a federal election is coming. Sometime in June, Parliament is going to recess and the, the MPs will all go home for the summer. So the Treasury Board won't be sitting. So they will not be able to approve the release of funds to us if we don't get to them before they take their summer holiday. And in the fall, there will be a federal election. The new MPs will get sworn in. There will be the, the throne speech and all the pomp and circumstance that goes along with that. The Treasury Board, after June, won't meet again probably until next February. So there's a big gap in there where we will be sitting twiddling our thumbs if we don't get them something by the end of this month. Okay, one last thing, Councillor Lewis, and that is there is some part of the voting public that believes, hey, decisions have been made for a long, long time on this. There hasn't been much discussion to have. It's just a matter of laying it out. What do you say to that? Uh, I actually disagree. And I'll tell you, I've had a lot of conversations with colleagues, and especially those of us who are new to council over the last week. Now, we've been careful. Uh, I want to be clear. We haven't crossed the quorum mark. And, and been having the you know the quote unquote secret meetings, but there's a lot of interest in how do we do something that we can all find some common ground on. Uh, you know, various members of council campaigned either for or against uh, the BRT plan that we had. What we have now is the potential to do parts of it that make sense and discard the parts we didn't like from the beginning. So, me for example, the north route, as far as I'm concerned, is a non-starter. Uh, we're not doing anything about the rail crossing uh, on Richmond Street. Uh, we've got this list of demands from Western that uh, I'm not prepared to, for example, buy them a new bridge and commit to doing their snow plowing for them when we can't even plow our own streets to a suitable standard. So I'm not prepared to even entertain the northern route tonight. I, I'm a solid no there, and I have been from the beginning. But there are other routes where, you know, we've seen some changes. For example, the the dedicated lanes now aren't going to have curb barriers on both sides. There's just going to be a curb in the center median. That means uh, things like our fire trucks and our police could use the bus lane. It means that we could even potentially extend the use of that bus lane to taxis and Ubers. That's a big change from what the last council approved. So I'm willing to consider what that looks like. And I know that uh, many of my colleagues, and particularly those of us who are new, we're willing to consider that too. There have been some changes here. This is not the old plan. It may look a bit like it, but there have been some changes, and I think that uh, the decisions have not been made. Um, I think people may be surprised when they wake up tomorrow morning and read the paper uh, in terms of what direction we've gone. Well, Councillor Lewis, we really appreciate the time. Enjoy what uh, could be a late, late night. I think it is going to be a late, late night. (laughs) And, uh, of course, we have to do this all over again tomorrow at Council and ratify these decisions. Uh, it doesn't give us a whole lot of time to hear back from our constituents in terms of what they think of what goes down tonight. Uh, but there could be even more discussion tomorrow night before we get things finalized. So, um, 36 hours, you said it. Enjoy it. Yeah. Thanks for the time. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Mike. And uh, you have a great week. And, um, uh, yeah, if I see you at Game 5 on Friday night, that'll be fantastic. But if they wrap it up in four... Uh, Well, then we'll wait for the next round. I'll look for a guy whose eyes are being held open by toothpicks. (laughs) That'll be me for sure. All the best. Have a great afternoon. That is Ward 2 Councillor Sean Lewis. We'll take a break for news. This is Global News Radio 980 CFBL.
Hey, remember last week when we had, and we've got to make sure and get this right, the super worm moon, is that what it was? No, it was the new worm super moon, right? Yeah, you know what that was? Uh, That was actually, according to a bunch of people over the weekend, a sign that the apocalypse is coming. Just letting you know. We always like to keep you up to date on when the world is going to end. Yeah, apparently now, because of that super worm moon or the new moon, new worm super moon. You know what it was? It it was the first moon of the spring equinox, and it just gets a funky name. So thanks to Max King of U of T, we were talking about that. Uh, While we're talking about the word super, it's come up again. You know how the Ontario government is creating... A super agency for health. This troubles me in a lot of ways. I had a great couple of conversations with people in education over the last few days. And their concerns about the Ontario government's plans for education. This is something that's going to continue to blow up. I mean, words work to rule are probably going to come in this summer. So if you have kids in the education system, get ready. Because those sorts of things are there. But I'm I'm feeling like I'm on their side in the way that things are going, in the way that changes are being made. One of the things that was brought up was, hey, in university, for instance, you have how many people to a class? In some cases, hundreds. So we have to prepare high school students for that kind of a setting. I'm not sure you do, actually. And that would allow them to just either do an online course or, who knows, have some kind of, by way of Vancouver, British Columbia, please meet your new teacher, Mrs. Taylor. And she's teaching hundreds of people. That's not the way high school should work here. No, 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 no. High school's got a lot of problems. We, we make it too easy sometimes, but no, 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 no. So that's a topic for another day. Once they figure out how to use the adjective super for education. But right now it's just the super agency for health. And the London Health Coalition and the Ontario Health Coalition are getting together. And they want us to know a few things. What do they want us to know? Well, hang around. We're going to find that out next on London Live. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. If you need something to do tonight, because you'll look outside and you'll think it'd be a nice night for a walk, and then you get outside and you realize, yeah, no, no, it isn't. It's still chilly. Man, fooled by the window again. Well, then you can go indoors. You can find your way to the Central Library at 251 Dundas Street. You go to the Lawson Foundation Room. It's very easy to find. You know why? It's right across from the main entrance. So you walk in and, whoa, there's where I'm headed. Lawson Foundation Room, 7 o'clock. There is a town hall meeting, and it is being held by the Ontario Health Coalition and the London Health Coalition, and it is going to do some discussing and going to present some information about the... Super agency that is coming to healthcare in Ontario. Please welcome a man who comes to us now on London Live. He is a co-chair of the London Health Coalition, Mr. Peter Bergmanis. Peter, thanks for taking some time for us. Thank you, Mike. It's my pleasure to be here. Let's dig into what it is that you hope to accomplish with this town hall 
tonight. What would that be? Well, I think uh, most of uh, Londoners and Ontarians don't quite realize what's uh, taking place at Queen's Park around this uh, omnibus bill 74. And uh, tonight we're trying to uh, bring to the attention of uh, the citizens that uh, we have to be very fearful of what this um, massive restructuring bill entails. I've been making some fun of it, uh, just referring to it as the super agency, because I think the name is dumb. But inside all of this is something that should be pretty concerning, like you say. So I'm going to put all the jokes aside and let's kind of examine what some of the changes could be that would be brought about by Bill 74. Where do you want to begin? Well, I guess the first off is uh, this is probably the worst rebuilding, uh, restructuring health bill we've ever seen. It does not actually address anything that would add to frontline care. It's being done very uh, autocratically. There is no oversight capability by the local population into what takes place in their own communities. It's taken everything of the lens which most of us did not like and only put it on hypersteroids. At one point, there was talk that we would find a way to phase out the LINs, and that was that was and that was talked about by a previous government. But that was kind of a thing that that hadn't been getting all that much in the way of positive feedback. Now, all of a sudden, like you say, it's that kind of a system only, and then some. It's precisely correct. Like when you, uh, we had to struggle with the LINs, as you recall, and uh, ensure that there was some sort of public input and the ability for appealing decisions because the lens are a, a weapon to uh, close services and uh, contracting out. Well, now we have a super LIN now, which encompasses not only the 14 lens, but uh, Cancer Care Ontario, eHealth, organ donation. Each of these had their own uh, cultures behind them. But whenever you create a mega bureaucracy, it doesn't improve democracy. We're talking right now with Peter Bergmanis, who is a co-chair of the London Health Coalition. Tonight, the Ontario Health Coalition and the London Health Coalition are having a town hall meeting in London. And again, it's at the Central Library, and it's in the Lawson Foundation room right across from the main entrance. You can't miss it. Maybe I could, but you can't. You cannot miss it. Starts at 7 o'clock, dealing with... Bill 74, dealing with a lot of this super agency and the local impact. So if, let's say this were to go through, where would we experience the impact? Because as much as the local local health integration networks have been out there, and like you say, they're they're kind of a, a weapon to, to get things done without a lot of feedback locally, what would be, be, we be experiencing differently if all of this was just to go through and this super agency was to be formed? Well, I guess the first and foremost thing we notice uh, as in the past when we uh, stop funding uh, public services in a hospital, those become uh, privatized and uh, farmed out to private providers, but of course for a profit. And we already have that. Uh, we noticed that there's already a local physician who's uh, suggesting that, you know, you could... Uh, bring your OHIP card to my clinic and I can provide some of those services and you can pay with OHIP, but uh, you might end up also finding that uh, there'll be a longer wait list in the, long, in the public sector side of things because we're not funding our ORs. And meanwhile, 
giving money to a private guy who's going to make money off of the tax dollars. And that's that scary kind of fork in the road that we maybe have been watching up here already, but if it was given a little bit of of a push, that fork could turn into a road, couldn't it? Absolutely. This is a trajectory we're very concerned about. Um, we already have the lowest uh, support for our program spending in the country in this province. And to imagine that uh, we're going to still cut out more things in uh, in the way of finding efficiencies uh, where we're already the bottom of the country is almost unbelievable. Peter, one thing you mentioned was that there hasn't been a lot of discussion with people who would be in the know about, hey, how would this work? What do you need? What does that suggest to you? Well, it makes you kind of wonder what are the true motives behind the government that claims itself to be uh, for the people, and yet it's uh, barring the people from having input. Yeah, that, that lays it out pretty plainly. Now, what do you feel then can be done? Because a lot of times we watch governments and they get things rolling and they are rolling. We just talked about this with regard to bus rapid transit, asking the question, hey, is this something that already has been in the works and now it's just going to be rolled right out no matter what somebody has raised their hand to or objected to? What power do you feel Ontarians have to at least look at the super agency or at least have input before something is put firmly in place? Well, we also know that um, this current uh, government has been out there telling the people that there are going to break with the Wynn government's uh, 10 years of austerity and that they're going to do things better and do things to remedy what's happening in the public health sector and hallway medicine. And so their mandate certainly didn't entail them going out and privatizing it to deal with hallway medicine. It was actually supposedly to help public health care. So we have that moral suasion argument And, of course, these town halls are designed to bring together people from all walks of life so that they can actually hear our report or take on what the bill entails, but then they can mobilize themselves in their own communities. And this is happening across the province, so it's not just London. And then we're going to culminate in a great deal of activity around a rally uh, to be held in Queen's Park uh, on the 30th of April. We anticipate tens of thousands of people arriving. It's hard for any uh, regime to actually ignore when there's that many people out front of your lawn demanding that their health care remain in public hands and not be cut. And you're confident that we will see a turnout like that? I'm pretty confident. We've had a few in the past, and they generally tend to, uh, you know, at least blunt what uh, the uh, government of the day is doing. The liberals certainly were such subject to it a few times, but this time we're really looking for, you know, this is a government that promised something, and it's not delivering what it's promised. So uh, I think uh, they'll be uh, very attentive to what we have to say. All right. Well, anyone who is waiting to hear a little bit more about what the Ontario Health Coalition and the London Health Coalition have to say can get to the Central Library. And that's tonight, 7 o'clock, the Lawson Foundation Room, which is right across from the main entrance. Peter, thanks so much for spelling out your concerns and what is being done about it. We really appreciate your time. And I really appreciate you giving us the forum, Mike. Thank you. We'll talk again. Okay, my pleasure.
That is Peter Bergmanis, co-chair of the London Health Coalition. So it does become a concern. I'll, I'll get into one of the other things that, that maybe we need to look at in regard to this in just a moment. Let's go to the phones at 643-2222 with Mark. Mark, what do you want to say about this? I, I really wish um, that they would privatize the entire thing and forget this whole hip thing. This is this is just a, 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 a great big hole that you're going to throw money into until there's no money left. But don't we, then get into, don't we then get into a system like the United States? How do we avoid that where, you know, talk to any American. They don't really like their health care system. Well, it's, it's only the unhealthy ones that don't like it. Yeah, but right? I don't know. Hey, if I'm diagnosed with something tomorrow, I love the fact that in Canada I have great health care waiting for me. If I, if I wake up tomorrow morning and I find out I am sick, whether it's heart disease, cancer, whatever it is, I know that I'm going to be looked after, Mark. Yeah, but you're mixing two ideas there. You can still buy insurance, and if you're working for a decent employer, they'll provide some health care coverage for you. All I'm saying is, from the administrative point of view, on the health care system, I have several re- relatives and friends that are in the hospital, and you go in there, and I'm not, I, I certainly don't mean to pick on anybody in particular, but you go in there, and the nurses at the desk are playing on their cell phones. They're, they're, doing, they're doing everything but working. I drive a truck for a living. I don't have a spare moment. I'm on the job 20, like eight hours. I'm on the job eight hours. You look at these people, I bet you their productivity is really, really low if you were to do a productivity test on it. But I don't you know think what I'm I don't yeah, but I don't think that's necessarily indicative of our healthcare system as a whole. That may be one or two yeah. individuals within it. Well, I would I would say to you if you've if you've gone around the world and looked at any of this, um, anytime you get into a socialist kind of a system, the fat is just so thick when you start to privatize it that's what i'm saying is that you'll get people that own the business that own a medical society uh, system and they any fact you're out the door get someone in here that's going to do the job yeah, and no, work at it that's a that is a great point okay mark thanks for the call because that is that's right you know what it, it, hey we can look at a lot of public systems and realize there is a lot of fat that's one of the concerns for the local health integration networks for so long that this this was just too many people with the letters VP before their name. John, what do you think? Hey, how are you today? Not bad. Listen, I used to live in the States. Now, this is back in the 80s, so I disagree totally of what your last caller said. He does not know what he's talking about, about U.S. health care. Now, my ex-wife down in the States, she had a very good job, worked for DuPont. So what she had there was called an 80-20 plan, which was very good. I was covered under that too. And 80-20 means that if we had to go into the hospital for whatever, they pay 80%, we paid 20. Have a heart attack and see what 20% of two or three or $400,000 is. That's a lot, a lot of, money. of money. That's a lot of money. So we bought extra health insurance to cover that other 20%. This is back in the 80s, Mike. That was almost $400 a month to have that uh, cover up or top up sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, My ex-mother-in-law was a charge nurse at a hospital, biggest one in Chattanooga, Tennessee, called Erlanger Medical Center. She was kind of worldly. She knew a lot about the Ontario hospitalization program up here. Now, what happens down there is there really is uh, people that uh, they lose everything because they don't have the proper insurance or no insurance at all. And in Chattanooga, Erlanger Medical Center, they had 10 indigent ward beds. That means if you did not have... uh, any insurance, you go into the indigent ward, 10 beds. 
So when they were full, which she said they usually were, that's when ambulances stop by. No, you're full. On to the next hospital. On to the next hospital. So the stats back then, if I remember correctly, were if you went into an indigent bed with uh, a life-threatening illness or an accident, life-threatening accident sort of thing, your chances of coming out of there were 70% less of if you were upstairs in a regular bed that was you were covered by insurance. Yeah, I don't know the about indi- you. I don't want any part of that. I don't whatsoever. like that either. No. And, and what she said was the doctors would come in in the morning because they're doing this pro bono. They're not getting paid for these indigent ward people. They come in in the morning on their shift or at night. They look, yeah, 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 give them this, give them that, give them that. On the way out, they, yeah, give them this, give them that, give them this. They're not really spending a whole lot of time there because this is for profit. Everything's for profit. The hospitals are for profit. Everything's for profit. I've seen what it's like. I know people that worked in it that I was close to that were able to tell me, you know what, I get sick and tired of hearing people that all they know, Levi jeans are a lot cheaper over across the border, so it must be uh, the best place in the world. Hey, John, we got to run for news. I really appreciate all the thoughts and the info. Okay, we'll talk about it again, Mike. Yes, please. Okay, bye-bye. Take care, and we definitely will talk about it again. We have to run. Uh, We'll be back to let you know what's coming up on London Live in about 60 seconds. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Lots still to come on London Live. More on BRT. Talk more about that North Corridor and how it could work, because that's something I've not been sold on. And we talked earlier this hour with Councillor Lewis. He didn't seem sold on it either. So we'll get a different perspective on that. And chicken pox parties, if we can. Not chicken pot pie. Chicken pox parties. I'd like a chicken pot pie. Want a chicken pox party? No. Why would you ever? Uh, We'll get to the story. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Oh, Monday's getting interesting already. Do you like interesting Mondays? Beats boring Mondays. Man, a boring Monday, and then look how far away the weekend is. Here's what just made it interesting. We're going to be talking more about bus rapid transit. I don't understand the north line or the north route or the north section. Not that I don't understand it, but I don't understand how this would be a great idea. Sean Lewis kind of looked at it, and I've driven north around 5 o'clock and have driven around Masonville, and it's nasty. It is jammed. Absolutely jammed. So how is this going to be better? Well, that's a question that we're going to talk about with our next guest. We're also going to look at kind of the entire project, because this is not something that began with this latest council. This is something that has gone through a long period of time. So that is coming up with Maureen Cassidy, Ward 5 Counselor, whose ward touches off right around that busy section in the north. But we just received this email, and we have a couple of people, a 980 CFPL reporter, and Craig Needles himself is headed to the steps of City Hall right now. Why would they be doing that? Well, we got an email, and other people would have received the same email. Ward 6 City Councilor Phil Squire is going to make a statement on a letter that has been received from Ontario's Minister of Transportation, which reveals new information not contained within the draft list of potential public transit infrastructure stream transportation projects report. What? What could that be? I don't know. 
But at 2.30 today, Ward 6 Counselor Phil Squire on the steps of City Hall is going to make this announcement. Well, that's in 20 minutes. Yes, it is. And we're going to know exactly what it is. And we're going to tell you exactly what it is as soon as we find out. What could this be? You don't go to the steps of City Hall unless you have something big. I mean, it's not like any counselor has anything to gain by standing on the steps of City Hall because there's an election in two months. You only go to the steps of City Hall if it's big, right? That's what I'm thinking. Why would any of us go to the steps of City Hall? If you were making an announcement at your place of business, you could make the announcement from your desk. You know, you sit there with your arms folded and you say, my announcement is free cream soda for everyone. And that's a great announcement. But if you're on the steps of City Hall, what exactly is it that they're going to be talking about? And, you know, this isn't exactly a cryptic announcement, or at least email about this particular announcement. New information from Ontario's Minister of Transportation. Well, why would this have arrived just to one city councillor? Why is one city councillor making... This announcement, okay, my interest is peaked, told you, interesting Monday. And there is a meeting later on tonight from the Strategic Priorities and Policy Committee, which essentially is the council of the whole, because everybody's invited. And they're going to be talking about things, and we already heard from Ward 2 Councillor Sean Lewis that this is a meeting tonight, and then things kind of have to be ratified tomorrow, so there isn't a lot of time to meet with constituents. What is going on here? This is something that has been going on for months and months and months. So, while we're waiting for more information about that, we have an opportunity to talk with someone who has been there from the beginning in all of this bus rapid transit chatter and change and other change and tunnel, no tunnel, all of that stuff. Ward 5 Councilor Maureen Cassidy has been through this and has been able to see some of the changes that have gone on, has been able to see exactly what's happening, and is preparing for tonight's meeting. And who knows what will come from the announcement from Phil Squire in now about 18 minutes. Uh, let's talk about tonight before we get to that announcement and uh, and talk about what has gone on as we welcome Ward 5 Councillor Maureen Cassidy to London Live. Councillor Cassidy, you ready for this tonight? I'm as ready as I can be, Mike. (laughs) How do you get ready for a thing like this that has been many, 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 many months in the making? It has. And and you know what? I, I have... I'll say it, I have an advantage, I feel, over some of the new incoming counselors because I'm sure they have read things and they've read, they've done, you know, some background work, especially during the election campaign, but they really don't have the benefit of us returning counselors. Uh, We've had four years of in-depth reports from staff. We've seen that the project evolve. I know one of the big narratives out there is that, um, we sort of had blinders on and we didn't consider anything else and nothing could be further from the truth. It's just that as a big project like this starts over 10 years ago, it continues to get refined 
and refined and better and better. And, you know, we looked at all of different routing possibilities throughout the city. We looked at all sorts of different options. We were presented in 2000 and, oh man, 16, I believe, with, with, um, you know, the possibility of light rail, the possibility of what we were calling BRT light, which is what some people ran on as their election platform, which, which is basically the buses running in mixed traffic, so not the dedicated lanes and all of, all of those sorts of things. So we have all of this research and all of, these, all of this work done by, people forget, experts, and not just city experts, experts at LTC, experts from across the country. Uh, we have the benefit of looking at the experiences to see where things went wrong and where things went right in other cities. It's, it's all about val- getting the value from looking at other people's mistakes and not making those mistakes ourselves. So this has been a really long time coming, and, and, and we have all of this information that has been given to us by different experts, and it's, it's valuable information, and it, it will help me make my decision. You add to that even the public participation meetings, whether it's the one at Budweiser Gardens where you had hundreds of people or Centennial yeah. Hall last week. What do you do with that kind of info just to add it to the already existing info? It, it, it tells, uh, you know, I see this big evolution. There really has been an evolution, not only since the Budweiser Gardens meeting, but since the election campaign as well. I really give a lot of credit to Londoners because a lot of people have um, have taken the time and the effort to learn a lot more about this project than they ever thought they knew. Um, so there were a couple of people at the public meeting at Centennial Hall that even admitted they had changed their minds on, on the project, that they have learned more. One particular person um, said she had gone from being someone against it and to somebody in favor of it, but still having concerns on certain aspects of it. And that's, that's very legitimate and fair to continue to have concerns on different aspects and how it's going to affect uh, you personally and, and, and all of that. But I really did believe that I saw an evolution in, in how many people think about this project. And many people have come to see that there definitely are, you know, the, the people that were completely opposed to it have come to believe that there are benefits to this project and benefits for them personally as well. Ward 5 Councillor Maureen Cassidy with us tonight. The Strategic Priorities and Policy Committee meets, and that's not just a little tiny committee. That's everybody. And it's everybody. now when that meeting takes place, when council then meets as a formal council how much wiggle room is left, or, or are we going to have that defined path to move down? What do you think? You know, Mike, this is something This is something I campaigned on. I always said to my constituents who had concerns about us making this, this great big decision all at once, I said, um, this, is, we'll, this is a long-term project, a 10-year project. There will always be tweaks and adjustments, and there will be uh, decision points all along the way. So no matter what decisions are made tonight, uh, we talk about things being a decided matter of council. Truly, nothing is a decided matter of council. Council can always change its mind on something. If we, just, if we decide to change our mind before 12 months is, is up after a decision, then we need two-thirds of the majority of council to agree that we should 
revisit something. But otherwise, we have 12 months and then we get to start over again. So whenever there's something that that has a lot of people talking in the community, that has a lot of people concerned or want to give their input, there will be constant decision-making down the road. So we'll make some decisions tonight, absolutely for sure. But whatever decisions we make, we know that this is a long-term project and staff will always come to us and, and say, give us updates along the way and allow council the opportunity to pivot if we have to on certain things or continue down the, the path that we've chosen. Let's talk about one of the paths, and that is the north area, the north corridor, the north. I do, what, it, is there a way to, to, to describe it that is going to be the universal way to describe it? Uh-uh. North I'm route? Sure eventually, I'm <laughs> sure eventually there will be, but yeah, I just keep calling it the Richmond line. It just is it's straightforward for me, and I know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. Okay, well then let's call it the Richmond line right now and see if we can get that going. This, in many eyes, is deemed a pretty important part of this whole thing. What do you see as being keys to have this included off the bat tonight? So the key about the Richmond line is it uh, is double or almost double the ridership of the next most traveled line in the city, which is the East, the east Leg, which, the, which is 3.3 million riders a year. The North Leg is 6 million riders a year. It has the highest concentration of employment. It has the highest concentration of students. It, uh, it has um, probably uh, amongst the densest, uh, population along that line. So it's a key, it's a, tra- it's a key transit corridor. And this is the thing about changing the routes and people wanted, uh, from the get go to some people wanted it to not go up Richmond. But Richmond has been a key transit and transportation corridor from the time that London was a tiny little village. It was the stagecoach line. Uh, there was a rail line going down Richmond. So it, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to artificially change your established transit corridors. So Richmond is probably the most established transit corridor. We have two hospitals on this line. We have uh, a, a huge university on this line. We have the Masonville Place Mall, which alone in Masonville has over 2,000 jobs in Masonville Place alone. So it's a, it's a high employment hub. It's a high transit hub, the biggest one in the city. It's, very, it's a very important transit corridor. Um, if we have to make compromises to see that that corridor gets built for the BRT, then um, I'm willing to make compromises. I'm not going to go into this meeting completely closed-minded and, and dig my, my heels in and say I will not compromise. I am willing to compromise, but I do believe that the Richmond corridor is an extremely important one. I know it is the one that causes the most angst in the community, but as the representative for Ward 5, I have an equal number of people in Ward 5 that need that corridor, that need a reliable way to get to and from work, to get to their appointments and all of that. And rapid transit is a way to give them that reliability. Uh, if we have to compromise uh, and do some of the route in mixed traffic or, or something like that, uh, I'm willing to consider the arguments in favor of going that way, but I really do believe the Richmond corridor is key. It's it's one of the biggest um, corridors for justifying rapid transit in the first place, based on the ridership numbers. 
Maureen Cassidy, Ward 5 Counselor with the City of London as we get set for a big meeting tonight, big meeting tomorrow, and then maybe some real big steps forward in bus rapid transit. Counselor Cassidy, one more thing, and that is I know you've made that drive at around 5 o'clock up Richmond and you get up near Masonville, and so many people try and picture, how are we going to do this with dedicated bus lanes? What is this going to be like? Does it it worry you at all? Where it's wide enough to add lanes, the dedicated lanes will be a benefit to the people riding in their cars because where we have the room to widen Richmond, we will still maintain two lanes going north for cars and two lanes going south for cars. But the, the, the added value for people who choose to stay in their cars is that the buses are no longer in their way. The buses are no longer stopping them. And, and also as part of all of that um, that road work, there will be dedicated left turn lanes and dedicated right turn lanes. So therefore, the traffic is flowing freely. Nothing is stopping it from going. The other thing there, really a, a, a point on Richmond Street that causes a lot of congestion is that Western Road, Richmond Street intersection. It's not a very, currently, it's not a very well designed intersection. <laughs> I believe it's not it's not designed for the volumes of traffic that we see today. And part, uh, and this is what people have to understand, there are all these added infrastructure uh, projects that go along with this. All of this added value that would normally be paid 100% from the property tax base here in London, but now we're getting some funding from the other levels of government to do this work. They don't normally do, they don't normally fund this kind of work, but one of the added values is fixing that intersection at Western Road and Richmond, making it more of a straight uh, connection rather than that that um, sort of angled, curved. Yeah, it's an odd one. The way it, you can't find that in odd, too many cities. No, and so part of the plan is to improve that intersection, and we could all value. Everybody will see value from improving that intersection, and nobody more than people traveling in their in their own cars. Well, it's nice to hear you talking about the flexibility because there is a lot of belief that things are, here's, we've decided this and, and we're just going to do it. And when it's time to do it, we're just doing it. But you've kind of used a, a lot of talk about flexibility and change and progress and the way that things have kind of evolved over the last few years. So that's, that's yeah. comforting to hear. Thanks for that. <laughs> Well, that's good. And you know, at the end of the day, Mike, this is about building a better city for everyone in London. And there are people that can't own a car, people that don't own a car, people, there are people like my age or younger that don't drive because they may have a physical impairment. They may have a concussion. They may be forced to not drive for a year or so. So we need to be able to provide viable, reliable transportation options for everybody, whether it's in your own private vehicle, whether it's on the bus, whether it's cycling or walking. We have to build a city that works for everyone. Councillor Cassidy, I I don't know whether to say enjoy the meeting tonight. I don't know if it's an enjoyable experience, but uh, good luck. I might have a nap before then, just so I'm ready. (laughs) You might need it. Thanks so much for the time today. Thanks, Mike. Ward 5 Councillor Maureen Cassidy. So far, we've had a couple of councillors talking about sleepless nights. We have another one who is about to talk about BRT and reference something from the Ministry of Transportation in five minutes on the steps of City Hall. If you're just joining us, we'll let you know what that is. We'll also let you know what's still ahead on London Live when we return. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.
We have reporters on scene getting set for Ward 6 Counselor Phil Squire and whatever he might have to say about BRT. And that's coming up in two and a half minutes. We'll let you know what it is. Harold, you wanted to say something about this. Yeah, Mike, I've never heard anybody mention yet when these buses stop in the middle of the road how the people are going to get from the curb over to the uh, to the bus, get on the bus, without stopping all the traffic behind them. Well, yeah, I know it works in other cities. I know Ottawa has the lanes, and well, it, it deals cars, with where yeah, you they, get on them. Same so, as the streetcars in Toronto. They streetcars, you, you get a block of traffic behind them. Behind when the, when the streetcar stops for to pick up the people, everybody stops behind them. Yeah, well, if if that's if that is the case, then we've got a whole other issue on our hands. Harold, you <laughs> you raise a good point. I'll ask it the next time I get an opportunity. Okay, thanks, Mike. Okay, thanks. Have a great day. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of unanswered questions because right now we don't have that direct path. And now it seems as though that direct path may have something tossed into it. Is it going to be something like a small stick that we can step over? You just have to make sure you're not on rollerblades. Uh, is it a big log that we have to jump over? Is it a hurdle that we might not be able to get over? Is it a massive granite wall? We don't know, but apparently it's going to be presented on the steps of City Hall by Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire in about a minute from now. We'll have details on what that is. We're also going to talk about chicken pox parties and why they're coming back. That and more before the closeout of London Live today. Stay with us. News is next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. How much disposable income do people have? I know that with regard to the city, we've got about $375 million in funding from Ottawa and Queen's Park for things like rapid transit. But I mean, not city. I mean, just, just a person. Have you seen the submarine that will dive down off the coast of St. John's, Newfoundland and take you to the Titanic? Have you seen this? It's the Titan submarine. So basically, they offer surveys of shipwrecks and things. And now they're offering one for the Titanic. And there are six expeditions in 2019. And there are 54 spots total. Okay? So 54 people get a chance to do this. Nine people, because it's a little tiny thing. you got to go deep. you got to go, what, 3,800 feet down? 3,800 meters, even more. 3,800 meters down to find the Titanic. And if I told you that of the 54 spots that cost $168,000 a ticket, how many would you say would be available right now? Well, come on, $168,000 a ticket? What, all of them? 53? Who came up with this idea? Hey, for the low, low price of $168,000, I'll take you down to the Titanic. You know how many spots are available? Two. Two spots are available. How much disposable income do people have? Boy, if only I knew what to do with this extra $168 grand I had hanging around. I don't imagine these are all Mike Trout and his buddies, are they? 
$168,000 per ticket. Only two of the 54 spots remain. And in upon hearing that, if you are somebody who has said, wow, hey, guy talking on the radio, thanks for that information. Do you have the phone number? I'm going to give them a call because I'd like to book one of those last two spots. Can you call us first so that you can let us know how exactly you afford a $168,000 ticket to anything? I mean, $168,000 for a weekend to go to a Leafs game. People do that all the time. It's not that expensive. But it's getting close. But yeah, they take you down to the Titanic. And they've been doing this for a little while. And they say that they are very careful and very respectful and all the... I don't know how respectful you're going to be. You're touring around the Titanic. It would be kind of wild. It would kind of be eerie. But... You can go to a place right now called YouTube, and there's a lot of videos you can watch that will show you exactly what it is, and you don't have to sign a waiver at all. I mean, what is becoming the next best way to look at things? Have you ever Googled another country on Google Maps, and you just take a look, and and then when somebody talks about that country, an image springs into your mind, and you think, yeah, yeah. I know what Osaka, Japan looks like. I know what St. Petersburg, Russia looks like. Yeah, I know exactly what those look like. Do we need to visit places? I would say, yeah, because you got to meet the people there. And But in this particular instance, you're not meeting anybody 3,800 meters down. You're having a pretty wild experience, but it won't look a lot different than what you would see on YouTube. Here's what you do. Get a laptop. Put a sleeping bag over your head and around you and kind of circle it around the laptop and then just watch that video. It'll take a lot less time and it'll be a lot less cheaper. Two spots available. Who's in? We'll take a break. Up next, chicken pox parties. And we also want to remind you that Ward 6 counselor Phil Squire is saying something right now on the steps of City Hall that deals with BRT and apparently has information that no one has seen before, coming from the Ministry of Transportation. Interesting. We'll have details on that before the end of the show as well. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Chicken pox party. That's a bad party to go to. That's a bad party. Hey, what do you want to do? Uh, I don't know. You know, sit around, watch a game. I don't know, sit around and and do some stuff. I don't know, invite people over, hot tub. There are a lot of good get-togethers. Most of them involve food. Chicken pox it up? No. <laughs> what are you talking about? But it used to happen all the time. One mom would let another mom know, hey, my five-year-old got the chicken pox. You know what the other mom would do? When can I come over? Because you wanted to get it over with early. There was no vaccine. Allow the kids to get chicken pox when they're five, and all you have to do is throw oven mitts on their hands and tell them, don't scratch. No, here's some more calamine lotion. Stop scratching. It'll leave a mark. So that happened. They were chicken pox parties. Over the weekend, you may have seen at globalnews.ca, they're on the rise again. But of course, there are warnings that come with these sorts of things. And here's another little wrinkle into all of this. There's a vaccine now, but have you heard that the vaccine wears off? 
My kids have the vaccine. You know people who've been given the chickenpox vaccine? What does all this mean? Let's get to the bottom of it. Steve Turner is the Director of Environmental Health and Infectious Diseases with the Middlesex London Health Unit, and we are very lucky to have him with us today on London Live. Well, uh, Steve, where do we begin with this? Are chickenpox parties happening in Canada, too? Mike, uh, we started to hear about those, um, but I, th- I think it's probably really important to say that we really strongly advise against those. We have a very effective vaccine available for kids. In fact, uh, it's a mandatory vaccination now for uh, for children born after 2000 or 2010 and later. And so uh, it, it goes a long way to help uh, protect from, from a disease that can actually cause some pretty bad complications, too. Let's deal with that vaccination. Is it true it wears down or wears off eventually? Yeah, vaccinations uh, need to be boosted in order to... Uh, in often cases, in order to be able to maintain their, their virulence. Uh, in this case, uh, one vaccination will give you about 70 to 90% protection against chickenpox of any severity. Uh, but it's now uh, funded for a second dose, which is a booster, uh, which is given when uh, children are about four to six years old. And that gives a 98 to 99.9% protection against chickenpox. Uh, of course, over time, uh, later in adulthood, uh, there's always the risk of getting a secondary infection, and, and to, in adults, that's usually known as the shingles. Uh, but there's vaccinations for shingles as well. Okay, so if someone has been given the vaccination at some point early on in their life, what should they do? Yeah, so uh, if uh, if there's a child who who's only had one dose. Uh, then any children up to 11 years old can get a second dose by visiting their doctor, uh, and that's all publicly funded as well. So uh, th- this will carry uh, carry children through their, their childhood years and, uh, and keep them free from chickenpox. Okay. And then when they become adults, should they be going for another vaccination? Yeah. Uh, so the, uh, the shingles vaccine, or Zostavax, is funded for anybody who's age 65 to 70, but, uh, but shingles vaccinations are advised for anybody over age 50. Okay, but there seems to be a gap there. When you when you stop being a child and before you turn 50, what do you do then? Yeah, your risk of, of uh, chickenpox is highest when you're a child. And okay. So, uh, so the years that we need to cover are the, the early years, but uh, the, the vaccination has effectiveness, um, pretty much takes you into adulthood. Okay. We're talking right now with Steve Turner, Director of Environmental Health and Infectious Diseases at the Middlesex London Health Unit, because chickenpox parties have been on the rise. If there is a vaccine available, have you heard why chickenpox parties are even becoming a thing? Wouldn't it be, let's have a vaccination field trip? We haven't uh, haven't heard much directly here at the health unit, um, but the but just even the reports in the media are enough for us to to get our ears up and uh, and want to make sure that everybody knows that the vaccination is available and that actually it will be uh, required for children entering school. So uh, so there's there's really no need to participate in any activity like this. Uh, the vaccination is effective, it's safe, uh, and it has uh, been been well documented to provide the protection that uh, that children need. It always seemed to be a strange way of dealing with things it's almost like hey i've got a strain of the flu come on over you'll get it and then in two more days you won't get that again yeah and probably the the most worrying part is that uh, chickenpox isn't benign uh, in some basically if you're if you're participating in an activity like this you're you're getting your child, child sick intentionally and that's not safe yeah. uh, but chickenpox can also lead to some some pretty bad complications such as meningitis or infections uh, that uh, that could really uh, lead to skin grafts and amputations and, yeah. and those have happened in london 
So, in other words, yeah, chicken pox party, if you're invited to one, you, you just decline that inv- invitation right off. Yeah, I'd say hard pass. Hard pass on the chicken pox party. That is, that's an excellent way to live life. Well, Steve, we really appreciate the time. In terms of, of vaccinations in their entirety, there is so much that, that you almost need to know and, and so many new ones that come out over time, over certainly the, the life of a, a child or even the life of anybody. How do you keep tabs on what you have, what you don't, and what you need? Yeah, so there's a, there's a few ways. Uh, one, the, uh, the immunization schedule for children in Ontario is available online, and you would just look up the, the Ontario immunization schedule. Uh, it would tell you which vaccinations you need. Uh, probably the easiest way is just to make sure that you go for regular checkups with your, your family doctor, and your family doctor will be able to tell you what, what you're due for and when you need them. Uh, as well, we have a, a system online called ICON, and that's a self-service portal that will allow you to take a look and uh, and look at your vaccinations, look at what you need, and be able to submit any vaccinations that you've had into the system so that uh, you make sure that you're up to date and that, uh, that you're protected uh, to the best of our abilities. Fantastic. Really appreciate the time. I really appreciate yours. Thanks, Mike, so much. Take care. All right. You as well. That's Steve Turner. Steve is with the Middlesex London Health Unit. He's the Director of Environmental Health and Infectious Diseases. So, yeah, that, I don't even know how that got together, but it takes you back to a time in the 60s, the 70s, even probably the 80s where you didn't think like that. It was just, yeah, 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 everybody gets the chicken pox, so let's make sure and we'll get it over with now, which it, it kind of makes sense. You can't blame anyone who did that. I think I was at one. I know I had chicken pox early, and I know I had them with, like, a friend. Wait a minute. But no, as Steve says, there can be complications. And when you're dealing with something that can lead to meningitis or skin grafts or worse, uh, you want to stay away from that sort of thing. So check out the article at globalnews.ca or 980cfpl.ca. You can just Google chickenpox parties global news. It is an interesting read for that reason. And a lot of it does deal with the United States. And it came because a governor in Kentucky came out and said he and his wife had purposely exposed their four adopted children and their five biological children, all who were unvaccinated, to chickenpox. And then it kind of took on its own story. They didn't have anything scary or or nasty happened to them but it does lead to look into vaccinations if you're not somebody who vaccinates please read some research on that if you've just decided nope i'm not going to vaccinate please read up on that because if you look at things like chicken pox why are they even here if we've got a vaccine why are we even dealing with chicken pox well it's because some people choose not to vaccinate why are we even dealing with measles these things were gone didn't hear about them. And now they're back. Why? Because people have decided, mm, we're not going to vaccinate. Please do some research on that. I urge you to. Uh, let's take a break. We'll try our best to find out what Phil Squire, Ward 6 counselor, has said on the steps of City Hall before we close out the show. If he started on time at 2.30, it's got to be almost finished right now. So we'll uh, we'll try and fit that in in the last 10 minutes of London Live because it's something to do with something that was received from the Ministry of Transportation. It has to do with BRT. He's making the announcement on the steps of City Hall, and he's also making that announcement 90 minutes 
before this big meeting of the Strategic Priorities and Policy Committee to deal with BRT. We heard earlier today on London Live, Ward 2 Councillor Sean Lewis saying he's already prepared to second a motion from Mayor Ed Holder that any other business that was on the agenda gets shoved to April 1st. We'll put that away for a week. This is going to be BRT and all BRT so they can start to figure some stuff out. Sean Lewis had mentioned to us that they have set themselves a self-imposed deadline because if there is a change in government at the federal level, all of a sudden you have the Treasury Board shutting things down, may not be allocating funds for who knows how long. They'll shut it down in the summer because that's what the government does. And then by the time they get everything through the election campaign, by the time either the current government gets in again or a new government takes over, we could see a very long period of time. So they want to make sure they get stuff up and running. So that pressure is there. Plus, they have to ratify it by tomorrow. How much input and feedback can be given from constituents between now and then? And then we've got Phil Squire's announcement. A lot happening with regard to BRT. It's interesting. It's an interesting Monday. So we'll try and get you a little detail or two, and then we'll follow the story throughout the afternoon. We have a reporter there, and we'll follow the story throughout the afternoon on 980 CFPL News. This is London Live, and you are listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Okay, we'll have more detail at 3 o'clock with Jacqueline LaBelle. Matt Trevithick will be along with news as well. But here's what we have. Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire has given a letter or made public a letter and that letter has come from uh, the office of the minister of transportation looks like by way of jeff urich and that letter has or sorry jeff urich is the minister of transportation so uh, you have that from jeff urich the Minister of Transportation, and here's what it apparently changes in all of this in BRT, that there doesn't have to be a March 31st deadline, and that was something that that Bill Brock had mentioned not too long ago on London Live, and also that you don't need dedicated lanes, which would change some of the strategy for tonight's meeting even. So that's coming from Jeff Urich, Minister of Transportation, that you wouldn't need a March 31st deadline. Although I still like Sean Lewis's idea that at the federal level, you do need that deadline if you want to get some of that money to get things started. So, again, interesting, interesting day. And we'll see how it shakes out. But according to the Minister of Transportation, you don't need to have dedicated lanes, which could change some of the strategy tonight. This this kind of takes it right back to the beginning again, doesn't it? Boy, I do not envy any of the city councilors who are going to be in that room tonight trying to hammer this thing out. This is like hammering jello to a wall. That's exactly what it's become. This is a big mound of jello, and tonight they are going to try and build a jello house. And I don't envy them for a second. Because if you've tried to build anything out of jello, you have failed. You know what you get? A big pile of goo. And that's what it feels like this is right now to a lot of people. We have seen changes, we have seen evolution, we have seen public participation, but in the end, 
we still have something that has no shape, kind of like jello, and has no substance to it. You can't stick jello to a wall with a nail. So where do we go from here? We rely on people to be able to put this stuff together. You know what? Maybe if you bring plastic cups tonight and you put enough plastic cups together, you can actually make a jello house, but you need the plastic cups to provide the foundation. It's up to the counselors tonight to be those plastic cups filled with jello. Get something done. And then tomorrow they'll ratify it if they can get something moved in the right direction. Wow. Okay. So not exactly earth-shattering, but at the same time, it just adds another wrinkle into it. The word from Ward 6 Councilor Phil Squire on the steps of City Hall today. We are out of time, but we will have more details as they come in. You'll have some reaction as it comes in as well on that story. You'll have a preview on what is coming up tonight at this meeting of the Strategic Priority and Policies Committee, which essentially is Council of the Whole. Thanks to Matt McInnes for his help. My name is Mike Stubbs. London Live brought to you by courtesy Ford Lincoln at 680 Warncliffe Road South in London. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.